I have found out big news in depth for you. Good evening and welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Last week, science and medical experts from around the world gathered in Melbourne, Australia to discuss the latest advances in AIDS research, treatment, testing, and prevention. They also mourned the loss of those experts who perished in the Malaysia airliner shot down in the Ukraine, including Joop Lang, a pioneer in the research of pre-exposure prophylaxis. We'll get caught up on what's going here locally with HIV treatment, testing, and prevention with our first guests, Megan Murphy and Dennis Agnos from Face to Face here in Sonoma County. And on this month's Outbeat Youth segment, we'll follow up on a story we shared earlier this month on Outbeat News about a blood drive held in protest of the FDA's ongoing prohibition of gay men donating blood. Jaime Moreno is a young man who took on this issue and is here to tell us all about it. All of this is coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, July 27th, 2014. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. This week, President Obama signed an executive order protecting LGBT employees of federal contractors from employment discrimination. Here's what the president said at the White House ceremony this week. Many of you have worked for a long time to see this day coming. You organized, you spoke up, you signed petitions, you sent letters. I know because I got a lot of them. Uh, And now, thanks to your passionate advocacy and the irrefutable rightness of your cause, our government, government of the people, by the people, and for the people, will become just a little bit fair. Today in America, millions of our fellow citizens wake up and go to work with the awareness that they could lose their job, not because of anything they do or fail to do, but because of who they are, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and that's wrong. We're here to do what we can to make it right, to bend that arc of of justice uh, just a little bit in a better direction. You know, in a few moments, I will sign an executive order that does two things. First, the federal government already prohibits employment discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Once I sign this order, the same will be explicitly true for gender identity. And second, we're going to prohibit all companies that receive a contract from the federal government from discriminating against their LGBT employees. Now, this executive order is part of a long bipartisan tradition. President Roosevelt signed an order prohibiting racial discrimination in the national defense industry. President Eisenhower strengthened it. President Johnson expanded it. Today, I'm going to expand it again. Currently, 18 states have already banned workplace discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity, and over 200 cities and localities have done the same. Uh, Governor Terry McAuliffe is here. His first act as governor was to prohibit discrimination against LGBT employees of the Commonwealth of Virginia. I've appointed a record number of uh, lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, and transgender public servants to positions across my administration. They are ambassadors and federal judges, special assistants, senior advisors from the Pentagon to the Labor Department. Every day their talent is put to work on behalf of the American people. Equality in the workplace uh, is not only the right thing to do, it turns out to be good business. That's why a majority of Fortune 500 companies already have non-discrimination policies in place. 
It is not just about doing the right thing. It's also about attracting and retaining the best talent. And there are several business leaders who are here today who will attest to that. And yet, despite all that, in too many states and in too many workplaces, simply being gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender can still be a fireable offense. There are people here today who've lost their jobs for that reason. This is not speculative. This is not a matter of political correctness. People lose their jobs as a consequence of this. Their livelihoods are threatened. Their families are threatened. In fact, more states now allow same-sex marriage than prohibit discrimination against LGBT workers. So I firmly believe that it's time to address this injustice for every American. Now, Congress has spent 40 years, four decades, considering legislation that would help solve the problem. That's a long time. Uh, and yet they still uh, haven't gotten it done. Senators Terry Baldwin and Jeff Merkley are here. Uh, they have been champions of this issue for a long, long time. Uh, we are very proud of them. I know they will not stop fighting until fair treatment for all workers is the federal law of the land. And we want to thank them for that. But I'm going to do what I can with the authority I have to act. The rest of you, of course, need to keep putting pressure on Congress to pass federal legislation that resolves this problem once and for all. Amen. 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 Got the amen corner here. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to get me preaching now. For more than two centuries, we have strived, often at great cost, to form a more perfect union. To make sure that we the people applies to all the people. Many of us are only here because others fought to secure rights and opportunities for us. And we've got a responsibility to do the same for future generations. We've got an obligation to make sure that uh, the country we love remains a place where no matter who you are or what you look like or where you come from or how you started out or what your last name is or who you love, no matter what, you can make it in this country. That's the story of America. That's the story of this movement. I want to thank all of you for doing your part. You know, we've got a long way to go, but I hope uh, as everybody looks around this room, you are reminded of the extraordinary progress that we have made, not just in our lifetimes, but in the last five years, in the last two years, in the last one year. We're on the right side of history. I'm going to sign this executive order. Thank you, everybody. For a calendar of LGBT events coming up this week, go to GaySonoma.com. And if you have news or an event you'd like to share with our listeners, be sure to tell us about it by going to our own website at OutBeatNews.com. Follow us all week long on Facebook and Twitter for the latest LGBT news and information from here in the North Bay and beyond. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. OutBeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Well, we've learned a lot about HIV since it was first identified, and we're learning more and more every day about how to best prevent new infections. And since 1983, Face to Face here in Sonoma County has addressed the ever-changing challenges prevented, presented by HIV here in the county, and their mission is to end HIV in Sonoma County while supporting the health and well-being of people living with HIV-AIDS. And here to tell us more about HIV and how it's being treated and prevented today is Megan Murphy and the brand new development director for Face to Face, Dennis Agnos. Welcome to you both. 
Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's great to have you here tonight on Sunday. And let's start out with talking about, you know, sort of an update on HIV testing, treatment, and prevention. Um, How are we doing in Sonoma County with fighting this virus? You know, we're not doing as good as we'd like. We're doing really great in a lot of ways. We've learned more and more over the last several years just how important treatment is. So we're doing really well in Sonoma County as far as having folks who are HIV positive in care and being treated. Mm -hmm. Our concern is with prevention. What we're seeing is that over the last several years, the number of new diagnoses of HIV has remained stable. So with the prevention that we're doing, we're not able to reduce the new rates as much as we'd like. Hmm. I, and I read a, an article this week. I mean, it seems like there's new studies being done every week. But I think the Center of, Centers for Disease Control looked at new infections across the country. And it was alarming to me to hear that the 18 to 25 group is one of the fastest growing groups for new infections. Yeah. I mean, they account for like 30 percent or something like that. It, Is that what you're seeing here in the county as well? It is. And there's some huge factors that go into it. One of them being that when we're looking at young gay men and young people in general, the percentage of young people who are HIV positive and don't know their status Mm -hmm. is huge. It's over half of them. So then there's folks out there who are engaging in sexual behaviors with others that just don't know their status. Mm. We're also right now looking at a situation where young gay men now, it's expected that by the time they hit 50, that half of them will be HIV positive. Wow. And so it's alarming. You know, we're in a situation that isn't getting better in the way that we wish it would. Um, it's only growing. So it's a big concern of ours. And getting those young men in for testing and in for good um, health information is a big part of our goal right now. Half the population of those that are 22, you said? Yeah. I was expected to be HIV positive by the time they're 50. Very, very scary. So talk about how testing has evolved. You know, I know 10 years ago that if you went in for, you know, a blood test, you'd have to wait for weeks and there would be this, mm-hmm. you know, just arduous uh, process. And then you'd have to go in and sit in the waiting room and, and wait for those results. And I, worry the and entire worry. week long. Yeah. I, I had that experience going with a, a friend of mine yeah. going to the clinic in Berkeley. I'll never forget it. Yeah. And uh, he had gotten information that he, one of his partners was positive and mm-hmm. he, they suggested he go and get tested and he went in for the clinic and then we waited for two or three weeks. Yeah. And then, and then sitting there was and I wasn't the one who was getting the results. It was him. It was but still horrible. petrified. Yeah. I, was, I was petrified for him. And, he, and yeah. unfortunately, he tested positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about how that's changed today. Well, thankfully, it's very, very different now. Um, there are still a number of health centers that do the traditional testing where you'll go in and have a blood draw and about a week later get your results. Um, and that is still very common. The great thing now is that there's also the availability to do rapid testing. So like at face-to-face now, we're able to do an oral test that's just a swab of the mouth, and the results are there in 20 minutes. Oh, wow. So there's no leaving and coming back because part of what we used to find is that not everybody made it back in a week. And Mm -hmm. you get so worried, things come up in life, maybe you're out of town. So now folks can come, and before they leave, they can have their results, Mm -hmm. which is worlds different than it ever was before. Without Um, a needle. Without a needle. Right. No pain. So does a person have to disclose who they are when they come in to be tested, or is is it truly anonymous? No. We can do it either way. We can do anonymous tests where folks don't have to give us any identifying information, Um, not their name, nothing. We can also do confidential tests where we have somebody's name and it's kept confidential with us. Um, And, you know, there's no... 
pressure for people to get a confidential test. They can if they want to. Mm -hmm. But what we find is that a lot of people who come into us may have other health insurance or they have reasons that they are really concerned about other people knowing their test results. Mm -hmm. So even with it being confidential and even with that information being kept absolutely secure and not shared, they're still uncomfortable with it. So they'll come in because they can get an anonymous test. And that way they know that there's no worry, that I don't know even what their first name is, and their information is theirs alone. Great. So talk about the reliability of the test. Uh, Is it as reliable as a blood test? It is. The problem, if if there is a problem with oral testing, isn't the reliability. It's still 99% accurate, just like the blood tests are. (laughs) But what happens when you go into a doctor's office and you have a blood draw and you get those results back in a week is that they've taken enough blood that if the test comes back positive, they can double check it with another type of test. With an oral test, we're not doing that. So if somebody tests preliminary positive with us, then what we're doing is linking them with a health center where they can go have that confirmatory test. So our test is as accurate as the initial blood test at a health center would be. We just can't double check it ourselves. Okay. So for our listeners who haven't had this experience yet, um, let's demystify it a little bit in terms of what what happens from the time they walk in the door to the time that they're waiting that 20 minutes and then... Yes and no at the Uh the results. So what happens kind of play by play is folks will come in and they'll just let our receptionist know, hey, I need a test. Then they sit down. They've got um, some kind of basic information that they can choose to answer or choose not to. There's no um, requirement that they answer it. One of our test counselors will come down and greet them and we um, will pull them into one of our testing rooms. And the first thing we do is sit down and talk a little bit about what an anonymous test is, what a confidential test is, and make sure they're really clear with with what their preference is. Mm -hmm. We start the actual test, which means they swab the inside of their mouth with this um, little clothy plastic swab. Mm -hmm. Um, We start the test, and then for 20 minutes, we have an opportunity to just sit together and answer any questions they have about HIV, kind of demystify all the information they've heard about Is it preventable? Is it not preventable? Is there a vaccine? Is there not a vaccine? Um, What risk factors are? And to help them know, you know, what would happen from here if it is preliminary positive? What happens from here if it's negative to keep their test negative? And then the test counselor will get the results and come back and have a discussion about what those results are. If the result is a preliminary positive result, then what we do is immediately talk with them about where they can go to get that test confirmed and what their next steps are. We'll help set up that appointment. Some folks want to go immediately, so we'll set it up to go immediately. Other people want a day you know, or two before they go up and take the next step. But we'll start talking about what happens from here mm-hmm. and how do we make sure that we can get you connected with care and also get the support that you need around you. Because for a lot of folks, it's... It's a really scary diagnosis. Oh, sure. Especially as folks are newly diagnosed because they don't know what to expect yet. They don't know um, actually how hopeful things are with treatment as it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we make sure to make that bridge. When folks test negative, then we have some conversation about, great, how do we keep it this way? And making sure that they understand the window period. Right. And, and I've heard you talk before about your approach is really about risk management, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We are not in the business of making judgments on what people choose to do. But we really take an approach of when folks come in, you know, what is their life? What's realistic for them to do? Mm-hmm. How important is it to not have HIV? And what can we do to step in and, and reduce risk even incrementally? Mm-hmm. 
because everything's on a spectrum. You know, not everybody's at a place where they're going to stop having sex or use condoms right. all the time. So. Um, and I also know with the new testing, also the window of time since a person may have been infected and the test being able to detect the presence of HIV has mm-hmm. also shrunk. Um, I think it used to be, what, six months? And what is it now? Well, so unfortunately, with the test that's most widely available for us to use now, the Oraquick test, it's still, since we're looking for antibodies, we're still looking at anywhere between two weeks and six months okay. for somebody to develop antibodies. Most people will develop them by three months. For some of our people who come in and test, that's plenty of time. They may not have had a sexual partner for six months. For a lot of the people we test, they're not ever going three to six months without a new partner. There are new tests that they're developing right now and that are almost hitting the market that would reduce that down to 12 to 26 days, which would be amazing. Mm-hmm. We would love it. So this isn't a matter of uh, I, I went out last night and met someone no. and, oh, my gosh, I think they may have been positive and I want to go get tested the next morning. There still is a waiting period. There's still a long waiting period, yeah. And I would still encourage people to come in because we can talk about where they can go to get post-exposure prophylaxis and other ways to kind of right. mitigate some of that risk. And we'll have people come in. And I'll, one of the things I'll always ask is, so what brought you in today? And we'll hear, well, last weekend. So then we'll have the conversation about, okay, last weekend's not going to show up, but we will at least have a baseline and know what else is going right. on. Great. Uh, and I want to come back to the whole PrEP concept here in a second. Yeah. But I also have heard that there are tests that you can go to uh, CVS, mm-hmm. for example, and, and buy yeah. uh, over the counter. Can you talk about those a little bit and how they differ from what you do? It's actually the exact same test. The test that you can get um, from CVS is the same test we have. It's the OraQuick. And, you know, people have different pros and cons as to where they want to test and how they want to test. I really encourage folks to come in for testing primarily because if it is a preliminary positive result, mm-hmm. I really want folks to have that support and in, in knowing that there's somebody there on their side to help them get linked to care. It's also, of course, cheaper. It's about a $40 test in the store. So it's nice to be able to come and do it for free. Um, yeah, really. And. With it also, what I find when we sit down in that 20 minutes while we're waiting for the test to develop is that a lot of people haven't had an opportunity to get good information about sure. how HIV's even passed. And as we start to talk about it, folks will have kind of vague information that they may have heard in school, but no real specific information that really relates to them and what they're doing and who they're doing and mm-hmm. what makes sense for them. Um, and so it's nice to be able to have that opportunity to make it more personal. Right. But the actual validity and efficacy of the test is the exact same. Right. And this is really more about all of the STIs. It's not just about HIV. That's yeah. the one I think people are most fearful of. But, but, but there are a lot of other STIs that are a problem as well. What are you seeing in, in Sonoma County as being yeah. sort of the greatest problem? Typically, right now we have an absolute ton of chlamydia going around, a lot of gonorrhea, and actually a lot of syphilis as well. And our concern in the HIV world is that the presence of any of these other STIs increases somebody's risk of being able to contract HIV. Mm-hmm. So each of them independently, if somebody is tested and treated, the nice thing is you can be cured of the other ones. Um, the problem is if people aren't tested and treated, it can go so bad that there can be um, long-term effects. And mm-hmm. I was doing an a educational presentation on HIV, and a young woman came up to me and said that she, at 21, is now unable to have children because she had chlamydia that was undiagnosed. Mm. 
you know, so the long-term effects can be huge um, of the other STDs, and there's a lot going around. Yeah, and, and you brought up a good point. You mentioned that this was a woman that, that you talked to. This conversation about HIV is not just about gay men anymore, no. is it? No, it's not at all. Gay men are still most impacted. You know, it's still mm-hmm. a really big concern in the gay community, but it is not um, theirs alone. And there's and, more and more women right. and heterosexual men as well. And women can transmit it to other women as well, right? Yeah, there was the first documented case of two lesbians transmitting HIV. Um, so definitely not as common, um, but possible. So for those of our listeners who got ripped off in school uh, and didn't get good <laughs> sex education, because it really doesn't exist. You know, mm-hmm. we don't talk to kids in school about if you're gay, this is safe sex for yeah. you. Um, we're still afraid of that. Let's review a little bit. How Mm -hmm. is HIV transmitted? How can it be transmitted? So the basic story goes that there's enough HIV in a person's vaginal fluids, breast milk, cum, pre-cum, and blood. Okay to see these on the Oh, yeah. Okay. And any time that there's an opportunity for one of those five fluids to get in somebody else's body, there's an opportunity to pass HIV. So when we're talking about HIV education, especially when we're looking um, in the queer community, it's really important to look at the variance of risk. So some behaviors are just by nature far more risky than others. Mm-hmm. Oral sex is far less risky, which is why we're seeing the first um, lesbian couple as a documented case. Um, unprotected anal intercourse is the most risky. And so everything in between is on a continuum. And it depends on whether condoms were used. It depends on whether lube was used. It depends on whether an HIV-positive partner in a relationship is on treatment. There's a lot that goes into it. But really, any chance for for fluids to transmit, and the rougher things are, are going to allow for more opportunities, Mm -hmm. more tears, more lesions. presence of another STI is going to allow for more opportunities. Is it safe to say, then, that condoms really are sort of overall one of the best ways of reducing the risk of transmission? Absolutely, they're one of the most effective. And condoms with lube um, to help protect the condoms are definitely one of the most effective ways of reducing transmission of HIV and other STDs or STIs. Um, And I think that's a really important point, too. You know, the use of a condom, again, it's not just about HIV we're trying to prevent here. Um, You talked about the fluids that transmit HIV, but those are the same fluids that pose risk for transmitting all the other STIs as well, right? Absolutely. You mentioned lube as being a really important part of the equation. It's hugely equation. important. So we love lube. <laughs> we do. We, we know that. From an HIV prevention standpoint, mm-hmm. talk about why that's important. So what's important about it is that we're trying to reduce friction. Anytime there's friction, there's a chance for more tears either in the anus or in the shaft of the penis. So the more friction we can reduce, the better off we are. Mm-hmm. So lube helps with that. We want to Reduce friction also when there's condoms. One of the biggest reasons for tears in condoms is too much friction, not enough lube. You know, so it's a hugely important piece of the puzzle that often um, goes overlooked. You know, that isn't given the the respect it deserves. Um, and you know, folks find it more enjoyable. So sure. it's an easier one for a lot of people than condoms. It certainly doesn't have that level of effectiveness as far as not transmitting HIV by any means. But it's a really important piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Great. So talk about how treatment has changed over the years. Um, I know going back to the story I mentioned about my friend a few years Mm -hmm. ago, 
Uh, when he went to his doctor, the doctor said, you know, we're not going to do anything right now because the amount of virus in your system is still fairly low. And we don't want to start you on meds because we're afraid that you'll develop some immunities, and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But I've read that that philosophy has kind of changed. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. The recommendations have changed dramatically just in the time um, that I've been with face-to-face, which is the last six years. Now what they're saying is that for anybody who's diagnosed HIV positive that's ready to commit to medication adherence, because that's a really important piece for us, is that folks really need to be adherent to their medication. If folks are ready to do that, that they're encouraging everyone to start immediately. And the logic behind it is that instead of waiting for somebody's immune system to deteriorate or the virus to get too strong, that the sooner they start prevention, the more likely it is that somebody can stay healthy and maintain their initial level of health without having to have a dip and then get back from that, Mm -hmm. which is a harder thing. Because sometimes those dips can bring on, uh, you know, infections or problems that a person either can't recover from fully or that cause even more damage than not, right? Absolutely. And it's also for the benefit of the community at large. Because for a person who's on HIV medication with a suppressed viral load, their chances of transmitting HIV to another person are reduced by 99%. Mm -hmm. There are new studies that actually aren't showing yet any transmission of HIV from an HIV positive person to an HIV negative person, as long as that person is adherent to their medication. So it's not just for their benefit, but as they're out you know, wanting to be able to engage in relationships, wanting to have a healthy sexual life, being on treatment is going to drastically reduce their chance of um, passing on HIV. Mm-hmm. And what we see from our folks who test positive, who are new diagnosis, as well as our clients, is that for folks who are diagnosed and know their status, there's a huge commitment to not wanting to pass on HIV to others. So to be able to know that they're on medication, their viral load is suppressed, and they're able to... Um, have less worry mm-hmm. as they're engaging in relationships. Right. It's a benefit to everybody. So the the new idea is mm-hmm. about maybe even taking meds before you even engage in the sexual yeah. activity as a way of preventing an infection. It is. Uh, and so there's all kinds of discussion about PrEP and, and a there lot is. of articles talking about how valuable PrEP is. Mm-hmm. Tell us what PrEP is and what's the thinking behind it. So PrEP is... Um, a regimen where folks would take a medication that's been traditionally used for people who are HIV positive while being HIV negative. It's still a daily medication regimen to drastically reduce their chances of acquiring HIV. So it's encouraged that people would use it alongside whatever other prevention activities they're already engaging in, whether that's condoms, whether it's having few partners, whatever else they're already doing, that this will be an added layer of protection. They're finding that for folks who are adherent to the medication, that it's reducing their chance of getting HIV by over 90%. Wow. Big part of the problem of what we're seeing, though, is that there's a ton of judgment and stigma that goes along with it right now. Really? Where as a community, we're trying to work through what it means for people to have this option. It's so similar to what happened when the birth control pill initially Mm. came out. You know, then it was people are worried that if you give women the birth control pill, they're going to go have sex. Now people are worried that if you give people PrEP that, oh, my God, they're going to have sex. Um, And so we're really trying to work through that. We're, you know, holding community forums, trying to bring people together to get more information about what it is. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of fear initially that people would have really bad side effects. And the research hasn't found that. There was fear that insurance companies wouldn't cover it. 
And that also has been unfounded. Medi-Cal, Medicare, private insurance are, are all covering it. So it's really been interesting to watch it evolve um, and to watch the research and the facts slowly come out so that people can slowly see that, yes, this is effective, this is something that's covered, this is available to people. And the CDC actually just recently passed guidelines um, actually recommending it as a prevention tool. So not just saying that it's good and safe, but actually recommending it as a proactive measure to prevent the spread of HIV. Yes. Yeah, because this is really about not only taking care of yourself, mm-hmm. um, but also reducing the risk of infecting others. Exactly. Because if, you know, if you think about the sequencing of the time, if you get infected and then have to wait six months and continue having mm-hmm. sex during that sex that six months, potentially you're spreading the virus before yeah. you even find out yourself. Well, and that's a big part of the challenge is that with HIV, you can start spreading it to other people within a couple of days mm-hmm. and still be testing negative for six months. You know, So for that whole period of time, somebody can be responsible and in getting tested and getting negative results back, but be passing HIV right. until their body finally develops antibodies. So, so what have you read about in terms of a vaccine? Uh, are so, we on the verge of that, do you think, or where are we? That's a great question. It's hard to say. You know, back in 2009, they did some trials over in Thailand that showed about a third reduction of people transmitting HIV. Mm -hmm. And a third is good. It's better than nothing. It's not great by any means. They're currently working on vaccines with uh, monkeys, with kind of their equivalent of HIV, that are showing really great results. So how long we are from that? transitioning over to humans, I have no idea. Mm. You know, the science with HIV treatment and prevention is is fascinating. You know, right now we've got PrEP that's newly out. They're also talking about um, coming out with injections. It would be once every three months mm. as a preventative. Mm. There you know, so many different things that they're looking at as possibilities, but we're just not quite there yet. Yeah. Well, you have certainly been involved in doing a lot of community education work. Mm -hmm. That's your role at at Face to Face. And uh, my classes have certainly benefited by your wonderful presentations. Thank you. Talk about, you know, what's kind of the attitude in Sonoma County? Uh, Are there still men out there that are just sort of ignoring this problem? And I'll even go so far as to ask, uh, you know, are these barebacking parties that we heard Mm -hmm. about where people were intentionally becoming infected still happening? So, you know, we have a huge range of, of choices that we make as humans and in our community, a, a huge range of different ideas about sex and sexuality. We certainly have a number of folks who are really concerned about HIV, who are in um, monogamous relationships, who are using protection. We also have a lot of um, guys who are far more laid back and have more open relationships, who have a lot of partners who may participate in bareback and parties. Um, and so, you know, when we're looking at prevention, we've got to be a little bit ready for everybody. And I don't think that we're on a trajectory where the community is getting closer together as far as their opinions or desires for types of relationships. Mm-hmm. I think that it's very, very diverse, and I think it's staying very, very diverse. Part of what we found not long ago was that there were folks who felt sort of left out if they were HIV negative because HIV positive men could have these barebacking parties because there wasn't a concern about getting HIV. And there's a knowledge that even if you get something else, you can treat it. 
and you kind of have the only one to really worry about long term was was some of the opinion. Mm-hmm. And so then some men would feel kind of left out, you know, well, if only I was HIV positive, then I could attend these parties and I could be a part of it. And so PrEP has shifted that a little bit. So there's not that need to say that one is positive or or go as far as maybe try to actually get HIV. Um, we hear that from time to time. Sometimes what we'll hear also is somebody who's in a relationship that's um, serodiscordant, where somebody's HIV positive and somebody's negative, that the anxiety of worrying about getting HIV is harder than just having it. Mm-hmm. So some folks in relationships who have tested with us have had a little bit of a sense of relief of I don't have to worry about getting HIV anymore, now I just have it. Um, and again, I think PrEP is changing the game for folks. You know, I think it will reduce people's anxiety tremendously and um, maybe take some of that away. Great. And I'm assuming face-to-face has information about PrEP and sort we of the pros and cons about it. Absolutely. And it's a really personal choice. You know, I mean, any medication choice for folks is very, very personal and, and people have different opinions on it. But we have information. We have a community forum coming up this Tuesday in Guerneville at the Veterans mm-hmm. Hall at 530. We'd love... Anybody in the community who's interested in learning more to come, some folks will be coming up from Project Inform down in San Francisco to give a presentation. Um, but people can come by as they come by for testing. We talk about it as you know, just one of the many options. Great. So where can people go to get information about that forum? Um, you can look on our website, www.f2f.org, um, or come on out to Guerneville, the Veterans Hall, on Tuesday night at 530. Great. And we'll have a link on our own website at outbeatnews.com to face-to-face where you can go and find out more about that. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, Dennis Agnos is the new development director from face-to-face. Uh, just started a couple months ago? Yes. Yeah. So tell us about yourself and give us a little bit about your background and what brought you to face-to-face. Well, thanks, Greg. And first of all, I just want to say thank you for having us on the uh, on the show tonight. Absolutely. Um, I could listen to Megan for another hour about this information. It's always so informative and, and interesting. Uh, a little bit about myself. Um, I am just so interested in supporting the work that the agency does that I found myself in June uh, with the opportunity to join the agency um, and become the development director and just thrilled that, that I'm a part of the community in, in that regard. Uh, I've been a nonprofit guy for the last dozen years in a number of different things, social services, arts, and now health, and just glad to be here. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And you live here in Sonoma County? I do. Yeah. My partner and I and our daughter live in Sonoma County. Uh, we've made this our home for the last three years and just really glad to, to be here. Outstanding. Yeah. So face-to-face, you know, is like a lot of, uh, of organizations that serve the HIV-positive and negative community as mm-hmm. well. That's true. Testing and prevention yeah. uh, has suffered a lot of slashing of government funding. Talk about the shifts that, that you have been told about and that, you're, that you realize with face-to-face in terms of, of the financial support and the shift. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for that opportunity. Uh, the, the financial changes that you're, you're speaking of happened well, about five years ago in, in 2009. And the best part of face-to-face in its 30-year history is that we're a very adaptable agency. As you can imagine, HIV in 1983 was much different than HIV is in 2014. So is face-to-face. Uh, what we were able to do with these changes is take a look at the care services that we've been able to provide and the prevention services that we've been able to provide. And believe it or not, with less funding, we're actually doing more. 
um, which is which is really, I think, a testament to to the agency and the people that have supported it, the people that have worked there, um, and our our leadership team, and an example of of the addition in services that we are able to provide really is in in prevention and in in testing. So that that free anonymous mm-hmm. testing that we offer um, is not something that we were doing for the last 30 years, just the last couple of years as a result of being able to look at ourselves and say, all right, where, where, where's the funding and what are we going to do? And our team of six has come together to, uh, to make that testing happen. Hmm. So where does the funding for the testing, I mean, you mentioned they, that they mm-hmm. sell in the store for $40 a pop. Where does the funding come to provide all of that? Hopefully from your listeners. <laughs> um, in, in, you know, in all seriousness, we've got uh, wonderful support from the individual corporate and philanthropic community throughout Sonoma County. Um, and every year we reach out to those folks and hope that they uh, are, are behind what we're doing in, in helping to end HIV in Sonoma County and provide those services and that they do become uh, involved with us either as a volunteer or through their philanthropic contributions. Mm-hmm. And, and you talked about how services are changing. Certainly, mm-hmm. you know, testing is one of those and, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, in terms of people who are positive, they're certainly staying healthier longer. What have you seen in terms of the shift of caring for people or supporting people who are positive? One of the things that we find is that, you know, we before never had this wonderful opportunity where folks would age with us, you know, Mm. and we've got folks now who are living longer but may have been unable to work. You know, maybe their HIV has caused too much fatigue to be able to work, and yet they have, you know, a long time to live. And so we're looking more and more at supporting folks with meeting their basic needs, with figuring out how to live on a limited income if they're on disability, as well as really figuring out for with people what's right for them as far as relationships what other community services are out there we have a very active men's support group for example that gets together to really look at you know what is dating with mm-hmm. hiv nowadays mm-hmm. you know now that it's not limited to um i have hiv and so i'm sick but rather people have full and robust lives what now right um we do a lot of emergency assistance for folks who've had a crisis come up in their lives to try to help stabilize them, maybe help with rent for a month, maybe just bring them in and help them kind of make a plan for where they're going from here for getting back to school. Mm -hmm. So a lot of case management support, some homeless prevention work, um, working with those who are kind of most fragile. um, And then also just creating opportunities for people to have connection and support. Mm -hmm. Talk about Grindr. Grindr's an amazing, amazing new um, hurdle for us in HIV prevention. You know, here in Sonoma County, we don't have what I think is enough of a gay center. We have gay nights at a couple of different dance clubs. We've got, you know, a couple gay bars out in Guerneville. But doing outreach is so different now because right. so many of our guys are meeting each other online. And Grinder is, of course, the most... Um, used social media app for men who um, are interested in other men, some who are completely on the down low and not out um, in general in their lives, others who are very out, some people just looking to chat with others, some people looking um, to do a whole lot more than chatting really soon. So we've been looking at doing, um, we did some advertising on Grindr, we're looking at doing some outreach on Grindr, really just to reach out and say, hey, we're here. 
it's not as easy as it was in the old days where we could go out to Guerneville, sit out in front of the rainbow and hand out condoms to everybody as they were leaving. You know, now there's so many people that are just hooking up online and we want to be there to say, hey, we care about you. We care about both of you and let's help you guys figure out how to have any relationship you want in a way that's not going to put you at risk for HIV. So the next time you're on Grinder and you see Think this of me. really hot profile, <laughs> it may be, may be Megan behind that profile ready to talk to you about HIV prevention. Uh, Dennis, talk about Art for Life. It's one of the things we look forward to, Tony and I look forward to going to every year. It's a major fundraiser for Face to Face. Tell us about that and and the event coming up this September. Thank you. It is indeed a a major fundraiser for Face to Face. It's 27 years and counting this year. Um, It is an opportunity where the local Sonoma County art community comes together in support of face-to-face and ending HIV in Sonoma County, uh, 200 local artists will donate their their works to our silent auction on Saturday, September 6th. Uh, it will be held at the Sebastopol Center for the Arts. Um, individuals are welcome to attend. Tickets are $75. You come to that auction. There's wonderful art to bid on, and the proceeds that we raise go directly to our organization in doing the good prevention work that we've been talking about this hour. It's incredible. Uh, and again, having gone for several years, it, it really is fun. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of different kind of art to look at, uh, but there's also other ways of, of meeting people. Talk about the food uh, that is there. We're, you know, in addition to the, to the local artists, we've got uh, wonderful partners in the community that will donate their, their bites for, for everybody to enjoy, hors d'oeuvres and, and appetizers, and our friends in, in this wonderful wine community come together and, and, and donate their wines. So there's no shortage of a, of a good time. You imagine that beautiful art center in Sebastopol. You've got a nice glass of wine in your hand, some treats on your, on your plate, talking to good friends and meeting new ones and looking at beautiful art and and bidding all in support of face-to-face. Yeah, it's really incredible. And Sebastopol is a new venue for Art for Life, right? It it is indeed. We've um, uh, had a really long, nice relationship with a few uh, venues throughout Sonoma County. We've had the opportunity to move it to the Sebastopol Center for the Arts. It's a natural, natural fit. That veterans building has been transformed into a beautiful gallery space with wonderful white walls and great lighting. So all of this art is just going to pop on, on the walls as it, as it does anyway. Um, and I think people are going to be in for, for a real treat. And 100% of the proceeds, 100% of what you buy the art for goes directly to face-to-face, right? 100% of what we raise that night goes right to face-to-face. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, other, what other events, if people can't make uh, art for life this year, what other kinds of events could they look for around the year to support face-to-face? Oh, sure. That's great. Um, that's a good question. If you can't make it to art for life in December on, the date is escaping me. I think it's Saturday, December 6th, um, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus which has been an annual event for us, will come up from San Francisco and put on a wonderful holiday show, all in benefit of of face-to-face. And believe it or not, every June, the first Saturday in June, so mark your calendars for 2015, I think it's June 5th or 6th, um, we do a beer fest held at the Wells Fargo Center. So um, look for us at www.facetoface.org, and you'll see all of our events. And that is also a very fun event. Uh, Tony and I enjoyed that this last year as well. Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank you both for being here, Megan and Dennis, for coming and giving us an update on HIV and talking about face-to-face. Uh, this is such an important topic, and we hope to have you back again very, very soon. And Dennis has two tickets uh, that he has graciously offered up to Art for Life. 
$150 value, uh, we will give those to caller number three when we go to our music break. And I'll give you that number here in just a minute. But if you are just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News in Depth on KRCB FM Windsor Santa Rosa. We are going to take a music break. Uh, and here to sing Safe in My Hands is Eli Lieb from L.A. If you want to give us a call at 584-2020, 584-2020, be caller number three. You'll get two tickets to Art for Life. Always standing just outside of a circle No one lets you in Blame it on yourself But you're looking in the mirror Through a broken window Shut it out, all the noise that you let in Let it go, just fade away If you could only see There's only light where you think there's shadow L.A. artist Eli Lieb with Safe in My Hands. Welcome back. I'm Greg Moralia. 
On this month's LPU segment, we're following up on a story we aired earlier this month about the gay blood drive. Jaime Marino is a young man who brought this drive to Sonoma County as part of a national protest of the FDA's continuing policy prohibiting gay men from donating blood. And here to tell us all about this is Jaime Marino. Welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to talk to you. Tell us about this blood drive you were involved in earlier this month. Uh, yeah, so um, the National Gay Blood Drive um, was started by Ryan James Yezik um, in L.A. He wanted to talk to um, uh, the government about uh, the ban and wasn't able to, so he started a blood drive last year. So this is actually the second one, um, and it was the first time the Santa Rosa was actually involved. So yeah, it's to promote, A, like the regulation for people to find out what's going on with that, and B, to actually show that if this community was able to donate blood by bringing an ally to donate in our name, that we would get more of a blood flow going through the blood banks than there is. Because right now there's a short supply on blood in general. So, mm-hmm. and I'm curious, how did you get involved in this particular movement? I actually, um, I followed him on YouTube. And so I, I saw the video and I was like, that would be something cool that I could get involved this summer with. So, you know, I emailed him and set up the stuff to be a leader, um, and then he contacted me, and then we got it going. So it was pretty interesting and quite a quick, so I was really happy Good for you. with the results. Good for you. So talk about the event. It was uh, earlier this month. How many people participated? It was weird. Um, so we didn't really get a lot of people. Um, we got a lot of people that um, had walk-ins, um, but in general, um, you know, I was hoping, like, uh, we did enough PR and stuff like that, but I assume we didn't. Um, we had about 26, which is really low. You know, it's the first time. Gay men, I think we had about um, 10 of those, so um, the rest were pretty much, like, going down the street and, like, people showing up and being like, hey, do you want our blood, and then telling them about it, um, which was the good thing, because we told them about the blood drive, and then um, what it actually was promoting. And so they were like, oh, we didn't even know this was a thing nowadays. So mm-hmm. um, kind of got the info out there. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are surprised by the fact that the FDA still prohibits gay men from donating blood. It sounds very archaic um, in the in this day and age. But talk about how easy would it have been for a gay man to show up and not disclose he was gay and donate blood anyway? Um, yeah, it was pretty simple. I mean, um, the thing, the only thing is, um, you know, the FDA does have very specific questions and, you know, the thing is like, yes, you could lie about those, but why should you need the need to lie, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, if he didn't want to share his, um, sexuality, but, you know, he had a friend that was going to donate blood, like, and he, you know, quote unquote brought them, you know, that wasn't going to be questioned or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that was the campaign was for gay people to bring a proxy to donate blood in their name. How many of those proxies actually participated then? Uh, Yeah, so um, it was about 10 of them. You know, because of those questions, um, if we were to, you know, show up and actually say yes to have you slept with a man within, I don't know, what year, um, and then if you click yes, then you would be deferred. So then having uh, an ally there for you to donate the blood in your name, then, you know, the blood would still be donated. So mm-hmm. so is that how the screening actually occurs? That's the question. It's it's not whether you're gay or straight. It's whether you've had sex with a man. Exactly. So even if you're straight and, you know, you were in college and experimented, like you're not allowed to donate blood either. Um, 
So it's it's very um, it puts us as the other still, which kind of makes me mad, you know. So talk about why this prohibition is such an issue for the gay community. I mean, wouldn't it be easier just to say, well, then fine, I'm not going to donate. Yeah, and, and exactly. And then for me, it's like um, because there is such a need in blood, and um, I'm a universal um, blood, so I'm I think O negative. So mm-hmm. you know, for me to be able to like actually get blood and help people. And we saw that with, you know, people, um, the majority of the donors being walk-ins, the people even seeing the blood ban out there, they wanted to get blood. So it's like, you know, of course we, why, I think like um, someone said um, the best thing was, um, you know, a community that's uh, fought for their rights so much, why are we going to even fight to help other people? You know, mm-hmm. that seems kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But it is a form of discrimination. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and like I said, it does put us again into that other car category. You know, it's like, oh, well, they can't give blood, you know, because he's gay and, you know, all these other things. And it's like, why is there a need for that? Right. And it's not like the early 80s when we didn't know how the HIV virus was transmitted and we didn't really have a reliable test for it. We know how it's transmitted today. We have reliable testing for it. There are all kinds of other bloodborne uh, infections or viruses that could be passed on in a blood donation, it seems only right that people should be able to donate regardless of their sexuality. The blood's going to get tested anyway to be sure it's safe to put into the system, right? Exactly. Um, and yeah, and the law was, you know, placed around 1983. So it's like, yeah, around that time, if people look at history, like it makes a lot of sense why that was put in place and why that was so like closely regulated but there are a lot of banks uh blood banks that do um want to fight for it and you know have information out on the tables like this ban happens and you know here are ways that you could help and all that stuff um currently we do have a link to uh, a petition we're hoping to get 100,000 signatures by july 30th which is a petition that ryan started for the white house to kind of um make a response to this uh, law. So hopefully that goes through. Mm -hmm. From what you've learned, talk about what's next in this fight to overturn this discriminatory policy. Yeah, for me, it's, um, you know, it's like hopefully we'll get the signatures and we'll have um, a response. Unfortunately, we didn't have the turnout that we wanted, but in bigger cities um, where the uh, National Gay Blood Drive took place, there was a big turnout, and there was, um, in San Francisco even, I believe the mayor took part in it. And so it's next year, I feel like, you know, it's not going to be turned or there's not going to be too much movement within the year, but um, for next year's blood drive, I'm sure it will be a lot bigger. Um, I know it was in a few um, national, like, uh, TV um news reports and stuff like that so you know it's like getting the word out because a lot of people don't even know that the law is even there so it's like it's not that they're being ignorant and don't want to do anything about it or sign anything it's sure do you think it'd be helpful for people who are concerned about this issue to contact their legislators in washington and get them active and maybe overturning that policy Exactly. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's not like I said, it's not that people don't want to help and are being ignorant. It's just like, you know, it's like you would think as as a common sense, like it wouldn't be a law anymore because, you know, like you said yourself and there's so many ways to test the blood. So why is this still in place? It's like a community that could actually get blood, you know, um, we'll have the results, I think, for all the blood drives um, 
by the end of the month. Um, so we'll see, you know, how much blood actually was donated and how much blood could be generated. So tell us where people can go to learn more about this particular issue, as well as to look at the petition uh, that you mentioned. Uh, definitely. So you can go to www.gaybloodrive.com. Um, it's where you can find out about the national gay blood drive that happened um, everywhere. And then also um, we have a little banner that has um, the White House petition. And you just click on that and it'll direct you directly to um, signing the petition. So it's quite easy. You just have to put your name, your email, phone number, and then verify your email and you signed it. So it's Thank very you. easy. Great, great. Jaime, thanks so much for taking on this issue and, and bringing it here to Sonoma County. Definitely. No problem. Thanks for having me. And that brings us to the end of our hour. My thanks to Megan Murphy and Dennis Agnos of Face to Face and to Jaime Marino for being with us tonight. I'll be back on the fourth Sunday of August with special guests Ted Olson and David Boyce, the two famous attorneys who took Proposition 8 all the way to the Supreme Court. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond. Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCBFM comes from members and from General Organics, sustainably produced plant foods and supplements for modern cultivation. General Organics fertilizers are Bejanic. Vegan and organic produced for botanical extracts and natural minerals for plant nutrition at the molecular level. You'll find them on the web at genhydro.com. And our congratulations to Susan Ball of Sebastopol. She was the winner of the two tickets for Art for Life happening on September 6th of this year at the Sebastopol Center for the Arts. You can learn more about this event at www.f2f.org. And that's also the place to go and get all the information about free and anonymous HIV testing offered by Face to Face. You're listening to KRCB-FM Windsor Santa Rosa, the new 91, with news, new music, and more. This is KRCB. Stay with us. Climate One is next. <laughs>